Vox Pro, powered by TELUS International. Customer experience is the new competitive battleground, and to compete at the highest level, you've got to have an edge. I'm Patrick Hawhey, presenter of the Vox Pro Studios podcast series. We're all about beautiful customer experience, and this podcast is all about giving you that edge. Welcome to Vox Pro Studios. And don't forget to subscribe to Vox Pro Studios wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an interview with the world's leading practitioners and influencers in the customer experience world. And speaking of influencers, today's guest is a customer experience expert who boasts 116,000 Twitter followers, 20,000 LinkedIn followers, and a few other thousand uh, Instagram followers who all tune in to hear what he has to say about customer experience. So I think it's fair to say that in the CX world, he is a true influencer, and that is Shep Hyken, Chief Amazement Officer with Shepherd Presentations. Shep, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Those are some big numbers. Uh, Thank you. Listen, I'm sure you've worked very hard to grow them. And of course, the fact that you have grown them is testament to the fact that you um, uh, you obviously know what you're talking about when it comes to CX. And it's something that you're very passionate about. So we're very happy you're here with us today, Shep. Well, thank you. Great to be here. We had um, we had Jean Bliss, who you, who you may know, someone who's who's Jean's also Jean's my buddy. Very there you go. So Jean joined us a little while ago on Vox Pro Studios, and we got into this whole concept of of chief customer officer. Now it appears that you're taking it a step further with chief amazement officer. I got to hear about this, <laughs> where this came from, and what it means. So I actually uh, the chief customer officer is a title that I think a lot of companies are using: chief experience officer, chief customer officer. It, you know, it's just a title. What What is Chief Amazement Officer? I just look for something that would be fun. We have fun titles in our company. For example, uh, I have a, a manager of details. That's her title. Or actually, it's director of details. And then I have another one, manager of many things. She does everything. So she gets to choose her title. So we just came up with her own creative titles. And that's all. I don't know if there's any other Chief Amazement Officers in the world. But uh, hey, I'm I'm the I'm at least the one that I know about. Yeah, well, this is it. But but of course, like this isn't something that you, you just made up and decided to go with. Because you also talk about the concept of amazements and the five cults yes. or phrases that companies or phases that companies go through to get there. So you might flesh that out a little bit for us. Sure. Uh, so there are uh, I call them uh, cults because that's what my publisher said. Let's call them cults. The cults or the cult of the customer yeah. uh, was the book and. Uh, uh, so what we identified was that every company, every customer, and every employee, so it's the company as well, goes through five phases of, of uh, experience before they reach the fifth phase, which is customer amazement. And part of it is, you know, there's this uncertainty. That's the first uh, phase or cult that people are in. It's like, I hear this company's pretty good, but I don't know it yet. Uh, I'm going to get you into alignment, okay? And alignment means now you know who we are and you're starting to get to know us a little bit and we're, we're, you're going to start experiencing our brand promise to you and our customer service promise to you, which by the way, the third level is experience. The fourth is ownership. Once it's predictable and I know I'm going to get it every time, um, that's that's owned. It's, it's like uh, you know that when you go on Amazon, at least here in the U.S., I don't know if where you are there, Amazon's made its presence, but they're making a big presence worldwide everywhere. 
But here I know that when I order something and it's Amazon Prime and they, I know I'm going to get a confirmation, they're going to tell me it's going to be here. It's always here when they say it will be. Here. I mean, it's amazing. It's predictable. Now, what is amazement, which is the fourth or I'm sorry, the fifth level? Once you get to that owned level where it's predictable and consistent, is it above average? That's what makes companies amazing is when it's consistently and predictably above average. And I, 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 you know, people say, well, isn't amazing like a, you did a scale of one to five, five would be amazing. Well, you wanna know how you get fives? Don't ever be average, don't ever be a three. Always be a little bit better than average. And if you are consistently and predictably above average, this is what people will say. They're always friendly, they're always knowledgeable. They always, uh, I never, I, I always get through without having to wait. The word always followed by something positive is what makes great companies amazing. Now, I'm not looking for exact statistics here, obviously, because they don't exist, but could you could you take a guess at roughly what percentage of the world's companies could count themselves in that amazing category? I, I would hate to say you're right, because we're looking at the whole world. If you looked at you know major, like the top 500 brands, there's no doubt. Um, and there's stats that come out of uh, the University of Michigan, the American Customer Satisfaction Index. And again, that's U.S.-based. And I see stats and facts from companies and brands all over the world. But we're not looking at every company. Mm. So here's the good news and the bad news. Um, to answer your question, this is a long answer, but I think it'll make sense. Number one, customers are smarter than ever before. And they no longer compare a company to its direct competitor. They compete, the company competes against the direct competitor, but they're compared to the best service that they ever received from anywhere. So as a result, customers are smarter than ever before and they want more service. If you look at the indexes in almost every industry, you'll you'll hear that, uh, or you'll read that almost every sector is in, increasing its customer service, but customers are leaving companies faster than ever. Because even though these companies are increasing their, their service and experience, they're not meeting the customer's expectation fast enough. So I would say most companies are marred in mediocrity, mm. uh, unfortunately, they're, they're average. And the reason is, is because they create an inconsistent experience. Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's okay. And as soon as you have that inconsistency, there's no way you're gonna get high ratings every time. And uh, it's not that they aren't trying, it's just that's the way it is. Unless companies are willing to do a full, full out, you know, cultural shift into being customer focused, they are not going to have as high a ranking as a company that is in that experience and service world. Now you mentioned something there about customers leaving companies, and this brings up a very interesting point because it's it's now easier than it ever has been before to leave a, a company. And I read something that that you read um, or that you wrote recently where you talked about meeting an executive of a software company who openly admitted that his company did not have to provide the best support. It just had to provide barely adequate support because he knew it was difficult for his customers to leave and learn a whole new software program. So all they needed to do was just be adequate. Is that changing? Well, unfortunately, it needs to change because they're going to realize very quickly a disruptor will come along and they'll do it with just creating a better experience. Um, th- this, what you're talking about is a sticky company that has a sticky product. 
meaning it's difficult to leave. Mm. Uh, it's difficult to leave your financial advisor. It's difficult to leave a bank. It takes work to go and set up the account and you know all the social security number, the you know numbers and and all the the forms you have to fill out. People will just tolerate enough until they just can't handle it anymore, and that's a shame that the only reason you do business is because it's, you know, it's hard to leave. And uh, um, there's a word that I used to use to describe that type of thing. Um, you know, it's, it's like momentum. It's the only reason people stick with you is because you have this momentum and it's not easy to leave. Uh, but here's what's going to happen. A bank is going to come along and disrupt that inconvenient bank. A, uh, a business to business, by the way, business to business, it's harder to leave because there aren't as many options as there are in the consumer world. But I caution my business-to-business clients that the customer still thinks consumer-like when they're doing business with you. They are comparing uh, a B2B company to a consumer experience they have. The only thing is, is like if I decide I don't want to buy clothes at this store anymore and I go to the mall, there's 20 other uh, stores and that I could go visit. If I have, uh, if I'm selling uh, or buying a particular part for my you know, high performance engine that I sell, um, I probably can't find a lot of suppliers for that. So my options are limited. Once again, it makes an even stickier, you know, uh, yeah. opportunity for the company. It's it, so just the other day, I was working with a client getting ready to do a speech for their uh, organization, and they are a software company. They don't want to be known for that. But at the same time, they want to stay lean. And I said, well, you can't manage what you don't measure. And you have to measure it. If the only metric you're doing is let's get the, you know, is average call time where we got to get the, the customer off the phone as quickly as possible so we can reduce that average call time, that's not the metric you want. You want the metric to look at, uh, and, and by the way, the exact opposite of that is a company like Zappos.com or even American Express that says we stay on the phone with our customers till we know they're happy and they'd be willing to recommend us again. And however long that takes is however long it takes. I, I think there is a limit, but it, you, you get the idea. It's like the main metric yeah. isn't how many calls an hour I can do. So what a company needs to look at is the efficiency that they create with the response. And by the way, now we're talking support centers, and this could apply across the board to anything. The efficiency they create uh, by getting the right answer to the customer and also taking a look at that customer to say, what can I take care of right now that will prevent them from having to call me back? Because that takes even more time and effort. So preventive service, predictive service, whatever you want to call it, uh, spend a little extra moment or two with that customer, getting them, uh, getting a problem resolved that they may not even know is coming, just so they don't have to call in. And guess what? That saves time and money in the long end. And it makes that customer go, wow, those people are really good. Makes sense? 100%. And it, and it also uh, uh, makes something else very clear is that if you are running a contact center, that the people you need dealing with the customers need to inherently be problem solvers, uh, people who know how to, to predict a problem. Well, I suppose we'll, we'll get to, to how technology can, can help predict problems in a moment. Right. Um, but, it, but it just grounds it to that very human level that the person on the phone needs to want to solve a problem and be able to solve a problem. So, you know, that's probably a big challenge as well as finding enough of those people to deliver enough of the, the world, world-class customer service. So there was a company uh, executive that I interviewed, uh, the executive vice president worldwide of customer service for American Express, contact centers throughout the world. 
And he said, when we hire people, one of the things we look for in their resume is, did they ever work in a hotel or a restaurant, something in the hospitality industry? Because they know if somebody's been in a hospitality environment for any period of time, they have that mentality of serving the customer because they know uh, he, he, in his interview with me said, we can teach people to flip through screens and learn technical specs on products, but it's really hard to take somebody that's never had any hospitality experience and teach them to be a little bit more, um, you know, hospitality minded toward that, that customer. So uh, I thought that was a, a good revelation. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's great to have a background in any, you know, whatever the company does. So I took that to heart. And whenever I hire somebody here, I go, I think to myself, have they ever worked in retail, a restaurant, a hotel? Because those are very people facing uh, jobs that require some skills that an introverted person might not have. By the way, there's nothing wrong with that introverted person. I don't want to alienate people on on our show here <laughs> who say, "Well, I'm I don't really want to be in, you know, on the front line." Uh, no, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just when you have a skill, you should uh, ideally a company should recognize that skill and exploit that talent for the benefit of the company because you know what? When you exploit somebody's uniqueness, that person feels good too. So it, it's a win-win. And now we've reached another level where we've got AI and, and machine learning, um, which is aiding the human. That problem solver is now able to solve problems faster, uh, more efficiently and more comprehensively with the help of, I think, something, do you call it human-inspired machine intelligence as opposed to just AI? Right. Well, I don't, I mean, it's not my term uh, calling it human-inspired, but here's what I mean when I when I talk about that or refer to a, a phrase similar to that. There's two ways that AI is being used. Most people think that AI's best uh, activity is somebody coming in with a basic question. Uh, I need, or or an issue. They don't need to talk to a customer support person for this particular issue, it's that easy. I wanna check on an order. Uh, I wanna check my bank balance. I wanna change an address. I wanna change a payment option. These are the kinds of things that can be done online and a, a, an artificial intelligence type of, of system can prompt the customer through these steps to get that done. Um, where I think we see AI, and of course AI is u- being used behind the scenes to help predict uh, trends and issues and things like that. But where I think AI interacts with humans maybe even better is on the customer support agent side, where the agent who knows how to ask the right question can go to the computer while the customer's on the phone and say, how do I, you know, what's the answer to this question? And here's what happens. If the customer phrases it wrong, the computer won't know exactly how to answer. It might give the wrong answer. But if you train somebody in the support center to ask the question the right way, uh, then this computer can, can, you know, give information in a split second that will allow that agent to better support the customer. But here's what else AI does. The customer, if, it, if they're a customer that's been there before, AI will recognize the customer and will actually make suggestions to the agent based on that customer and the question the customer's asking that, that the agent is now, you know, asking the, the computer. It'll, it'll create a, a more personalized experience. In addition to that, uh, depending upon the type of business you have, if there are hundreds or thousands of customers that have similar problems, the AI in the computer can actually predict what the next question that customer might ask would be. 
it can also tell that uh, agent, hey, solve this problem before it happens. Also, they're going to need to buy something. Why don't you sell it to them right now? Mm. So it allows that agent, you know, to do a, a what I would call an ethical upsell or an ethical cross sell to get that customer the best experience they need. It's fascinating. And yet, so uh, uh, what you're painting there is the optimum use and the sort of, you know, the, the very best use of, of humans and machines working together. Yet, we right. see a lot of companies who don't manage to achieve this. Do you think there there's a lot of instances where um, bots, uh, AI, ML is brought in as a sort of a, um, a, a band-aid to patch over something that doesn't need to be working or just well, to reduce cost or... Yeah, I think both both of those are the case. That uh, number one, that they're the, well. First of all, I, I want to add that uh, uh, Ginny Rometty over at IBM, the CEO of IBM. I think I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. Uh, she says, flip the letters of AI and make it IA, and IA becomes the intelligent assistant rather than just artificial intelligence. So here's what's happening, Band-Aid, um, you know, we're overwhelmed, we need to get customers uh, some basic information quicker. And they'll use AI to help uh, control the flow of traffic coming into the support center. And I think that works to a degree. What happens is companies make the mistake, they become enamored by the technology or take it to uh, a too far of an extreme level where they start to alienate the customer. And in some cases, they go, use our AI service. We aren't even going to offer traditional, you know, human-to-human support mm-hmm. anymore. So I think that's that's wrong. There needs to be a balance between the two. So one of the things uh, I talk about with my clients is that, you know, you've got this system that you're creating. You need to make it super easy to connect to a human. Seamless. And when it does connect with the human, the best systems will say, oh, I see that you are asking this question. You'd have to force the customer to start all over again. Uh, The second piece of it is, is that the uh, support rep or the agent can train the customer how to use self-service features. I think self-service is a very important part of today's support world and customer experience. It's convenient, it's easy, it gets customers answers quicker. And if they know that there's an option to do that, Oftentimes, they'll go there first before any other option because it's typically quicker, faster, easier. Once again, you need that human fallback. Uh, If you ever go to a grocery store and they have the self-service line where you scan your own groceries, uh, there's almost always an employee there to help you Mm. if you have a problem. And that's the way it needs to be. So uh, uh, an uh, uh, an example of getting the customer who's online, or I'm sorry, on the phone with a, a rep the rep would say, hey, did you know that we have, you know, 400 videos that answer the exact types of questions you're asking? As a matter of fact, for this particular thing, are you in front of your computer now? Let's go to it. You can even take them to YouTube and say, we have a YouTube channel that has, you know, all these videos. One of the things I love about like salesforce.com is that I can go and type in, how do I do this on Salesforce? And there's hundreds of videos that they've created as well as customers that have created videos. And I can get the answers to my question on a video format, which is like somebody sitting over my shoulder teaching me step by step on how to how to do something that might be complicated and difficult for me. But it's like I have somebody right there with me. And, and the support rep can say, this is probably more effective than me even trying to talk you through it. Mm. And uh, so that that's how that works. 
I, I had a ping pong table I was trying to put together. It was a very, it should have been an easy <laughs> project, but it was a, I guess a high end ping pong table with lots of poles and nuts and bolts. And I was struggling with it. So I went on to YouTube. I typed in the manufacturer and the model number and a video popped up and it took me step by step video based how to put it together and it saved me hours of aggravation that's fantastic and everything you're describing there is feeding into removing the friction and removing the effort that customers traditionally have to make so one of the big um, areas of research that we're working on in in Voxborough Power by Telus International at the moment is the effortless experience Um, and I'm going to in a moment talk about a a step beyond that which I know you uh, are very keen on is which is convenience versus effortlessness so in terms of effortless experience um, are there certain companies that, that you may have worked with that you've seen really excel in this area people who have really taken the friction out of of their interactions with with customers I think there's so many companies that are recognizing that this is important and they know that when a customer needs help and typically what we're talking about with the effortless experience is um, and and the book that was called titled the effortless experience it talks about customer needs help let's get them what they need as fast and as easy as possible don't put them on hold for long periods of time. And if you do have to put them on hold, use the technology that says you're, you're, you're on hold, uh, the wait time is you know 22 minutes. We can call you back at that time or you can, you know, using your keypad, put it a different time that's more convenient. I mean, that just makes it a little less, uh, you know, a little less friction and, and more, it's more effortless if there's such a term that's yeah. probably not great English, but uh, it makes it you know it makes it easier on the customer, and that's what we're trying to do with the effortless experience as we typically know it is uh, your customer effort score is based on uh, when there's issues or I need help or I've got a question how quick and easy is it for me to get that uh, so companies that really do a great job of that um, and I I mean. I can give you companies that you have never heard of before, but let's think of the companies that do a great job that we have heard of before. Uh, Zappos, for example, if you've got a question uh, and you're on their website, there's a phone number on every page of that website so that you don't have to go hunting around for it. That makes it easier to connect. When I go to godaddy.com, who is where I buy my URLs, I, I don't know if I've ever waited more than, I don't know, two minutes at the most for a phone call when I've called to get support. They're like, I don't know how they do it. I mean, they staff properly, but that's what we're talking about with an effortless experience. Now, I'd like to move on to maybe a step beyond that, which is the the, the basis of a book that you wrote last year called The Convenience Revolution. Tell us about convenience yes. and what you believe to be um, convenience in customer experience and within companies. Right. So, um, and actually Matt Dixon, who, um, and I can't remember the name of his co-author for the effortless experience. Uh, he and I, we did an interview together and we started talking about, uh, this whole concept. And one day my editor for one of my books said, why do you choose the companies you choose to write about? And, you know, I said, well, I'm always looking for rock star companies. Ideally, everybody recognizes certain names, but how about companies that aren't recognizable? Why do I like them so much? Because they're just easy to do business with. Not about getting help when I need it, but the overall experience is easy. And I thought, has anybody ever written a book about the overall experience being easy and convenient? And I started to do research and realized, no, there there hasn't been. So uh, I wrote the book, The Convenience Revolution, which is all about the end-to-end journey. 
And I'll give you a great example. Uh, there's six convenience principles. Number one is reducing friction. And that is part of all six principles, but some companies have made it their mission to reduce friction. It's their whole value prop. And uh, Uber is a great example of that. Now I use Uber, there's Lyft and there's other competitors, but Uber may have been the first to the market. And I'll give you an example. I used to live in the suburbs and if I ever needed a taxi cab to take me to the airport, I would have to call for that cab. And so I would call in the morning and ask when the cab's going to be there and that cab will be there in 15 minutes. Great, maybe the taxi driver got there in 15 minutes or not, but I remember more times than not picking up the phone, calling back the taxi cab company and saying, where's my cab? And then you hear the cab, uh, the dispatcher calling the cab, where are you? Oh, he's three minutes out, All right? So once the driver gets to my home, I get in and he or she says, where are you going? And I say, the airport. And they start the meter and I get to the airport and they tell me how much it is and I have to pay for it right then and there. Well, what Uber did is they took away all of that. I don't call the company. I just look at my phone, open up the app. I can see all the drivers nearby. I know exactly how far away they are. I start to type in the address where I'm going. It auto-populates, uh, so I only have to type in a few letters. And uh, then tells me how much it's going to cost before I decide I want to definitely go with Uber. And when I agree, then I can actually watch the driver on the map coming toward me. I know exactly how far, no stress, no anxiety, is the driver on his way, not on the way. And then when he or she finally does show up, I, will, I get in and they know me by name. They know where I'm going immediately. I don't have to even tell them. And when I get out of the car, I don't have to pay at that moment. It's automatically taken care of because it's in the system. The only friction that's left is the actual drive. And mm. We're not gonna get rid of that until we get to a point where we can teleport like Star Trek. So. <laughs> So that's it. But like when you when you when you lay it out like that, it just shows how far we've come in a very short period of time for, you know, and, and it's just a small example of that. So it's fascinating to see that. And that's that's now what what customers have come to expect. So it's it's we can never go back from there. So this is just going to keep on getting more convenient and more friction. I think so. And what Uber did is they used reducing friction. They used technology to drive that, which is one of the other uh, six principles is that, you know, how can you use technology to create an easier experience? As soon as you have that self-service experience, typically on the computer, uh, you start to create, you know, that convenient experience. By the way, self-service is another one of the principles. Uh, you've got a subscription model where you pay and then things just start showing up automatically. You don't even have to think about it anymore. You'll never run out of anything because it just shows up. Uh, you've got delivery where a company takes something to you. And then number six is access. Logistically, how close are you to me? Uh, what are your hours of operation? Do you give me access to call you outside of traditional business hours if I need your help? Uh, so those six, and by the way, a company doesn't need all six to be successful. Some of them only need one. Some companies excel in all six. But to be thinking about where can I look at, at friction points that, my customer, that I might be providing my customers where can I make those easier? And I think one of the best ways to do it is, you know, the traditional journey map. But look at other companies. And we started to go there a few minutes ago with your line of questioning. And I don't want to lose this thought. If you want to create a better experience, look at the companies that you like doing business with best and say, what do I like about them? Uh, mm -hmm. What makes it, you know, good to do business? What do I like? Are they easier? Are they friendlier? And you look at the things, the attributes that make them great and say, am I doing that here? And, or where can I do more of that here in my company? 
or where can I start doing what they're doing in my company? Yeah, because company owners and CX uh, leaders are customers too. And maybe sometimes we, we forget yeah. that. <laughs> um, okay, Jeff, one, one more thing I'd like to bring up to you, and it's actually bringing us back to the start again as well in a, in a way, because it, it comes back to this whole, um, uh, this, this whole issue of amazement, okay? And I want you to tell us a little bit about your friend Dave Simon, um, former owner of Dame <laughs> Simon's Rock School, who emailed you to, to, with an idea that he referred to as amaze it forward. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? I think it's yeah, a lovely way to boy, wrap it up. Well, you're, you're, you know, and, and Dave's a great guy. I just wrote that article not that long ago, uh, but let's see if I, I say it right. So what Dave did one day is he, I believe he was going uh, to the dry cleaners and after the dry cleaners, he was going to the Starbucks that was next door. And he walked in and the guy was so nice. He said to the guy, hey, I'm going uh, to Starbucks next door. Would you like me to bring you back a cup of coffee? And nobody had ever offered this guy a cup of coffee before. It, it's kind of like a tip, but it's not, you know, giving somebody an extra few, you know, dollars. No, it's offering to do something really nice. And uh, the guy was, to use Dave's words, he was amazed. So I amazed him. So I kind of, it's kind of like the pay it forward. Uh, there was a movie called Pay It Forward where uh, a teacher said, come up with an idea that you think will change the world. And he said, yeah, if I'm nice to three people and I tell those three people and I do something that they weren't expecting. Well, now you have to do this for three more people. And before you know it, the whole world is experiencing people being nice to them, paying it forward. So uh, we, Dave and I, we were having uh, a little meeting and he says, yeah, let's, it's like amazing it forward. So but this, and it's <laughs> that's just, where that came and from. And simply recognizing, if you recognize really good quality human customer experience, if you recognize that and reward it in a small way, it's just going to perpetuate it and it's going to grow it. Yeah, and, you know? I love it. You know, it's like it kind of restores my faith in humanity. Oh, there you go. Well, look, <laughs> what better way to leave this great conversation, Shep. Um, I, it's it's very clear why you're one of the the world's leading influencers in customer experience, and uh, really enjoyed the chat. Um, well, thank you. Yes, and continued success with with everything and and spreading the word, spreading the good word of CX among companies all over the world. Um, so thank you. So that's Shep Hyken, the customer service and experience expert and the chief amazement officer. I can't say that enough. Chief amazement officer of Shepard Presentations. Shep, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Vox Pro, powered by TELUS International. And for more insights from the masters of customer experience, you can subscribe to the Vox Pro Studios podcast channel on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out voxbrokegroup.com for all of our latest articles, ebooks, and CX thought leadership. For now, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Vox Pro Studios, where insights live.